Welcome back, everyone, to the Stacked Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan, and I'm here with Brandon and Chris, and we're here for a good time tonight. There's going to be lots of laughs and movie discussions, movie talk, and pop your popcorn, because we're going to be talking about old classic silent movies. Yeehaw! Silent films. I like (laughs) Guys, guys, these are silent films. We can play it as quiet as we want. (laughs) (laughs) My movie. Should yes. this be an ASMR uh, version? No, I don't. Like no, <laughs> hey, I don't think. No. Welcome back to Stacked Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about silent movies. Now, do you remember when you were a kid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Uh, like I said, today's all about silent episodes. So, silent tuned, episodes. Silent episodes of movies, you know. <laughs> I'm going fucking crazy this episode. That guys, this is going to be my most unhinged episode yet. I'm going to be Ooh. doing some crazy stuff. What do you think about that, Brandon? I'm going to take him crazy take him down. Take him down. We we can't un- we can't have this. But we actually 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 before 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 we get into the episode, I think I think we need to talk about what we did on Monday um, for Labor Day. Oh, yeah. We are coming off the heels of a legendary experience as a group of friends. Yes, we, t- we talked about it on Twitter. Uh, we, we shared our initial reactions. But like now I think we've had some time to really think about it. we got to talk about our Norm of the North Marathon. Uh, for those there of you who are aren't four aware. four of these. Four of these fucking movies. So any of you who aren't aware, Nord of the North was a film that came out in like January of 2016. Nobody saw it, but somehow, some way, it's made three other sequels. And we decide one day we're just gonna sit down, watch them all, and just give our thoughts on them. So, gentlemen, what what do you what did what was your reaction to the Norm of the North marathon? Oh, um, not, good. not, not <laughs> great. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. What do we expect? Take us by step by step, film by film. What we, what what were we feeling? You know, what would we be feeling by the end of the first film? Despair and like Despair. just confusion. Like the movie, yeah. the plot doesn't make any sense. Like, no. When we started it, I was like, okay, it's probably just gonna be like bad jokes. And bad animation. And yes, those were there. But I didn't expect there to be a lack of a coherent plot. That... Yeah, it's like, it's surprisingly incomprehensible. Like, it's it's just insanely difficult to follow. Like, this must be what, like, some other people felt watching Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Just like, kind of like, wait, what? Don't compare Little Women to North no. North, please. Jesus Christ, Chris. I need you to explain that. Okay, well, <laughs> okay, well, as I think Brandon knows this very well. I think he might have like talked to someone about it on Twitter or something. Right. Um, a lot of a fair number of people after Greta Gerwig's um, Little Women came out last year, a lot of people were very confused by that film in terms of the plot, the like the narrative structure of that uh, film. As as you know, it inter- inter- yes. uh, intercuts between two timelines, not timelines, but like spaces in time. Um, so, you know, and for whatever reason, a lot of people, I can't quite understand it, but, um, couldn't quite grasp why, like how the film plays with these different, um, moments in time. So yeah, this must be what, what that was like for them. Yeah. I, I guess with them, it was like the color correction they didn't really get because like, I can understand how some people who don't watch a lot of movies, may go to a movie and not realize or pick up on subtle changes in like either color correction or hair changes. But like for me, it was super obvious. But for Norm of the North, it's like, come on. Like it, it's just so confusing why and random why stuff happens in the movie. <sighs> These movies make you feel like an idiot. And no movie should make you feel like an idiot. You know what I'm saying? I don't I felt, know. I, I felt fucking stupid watching it. I probably am fucking stupid because I decided to watch these movies with you too. <laughs> and this movie will remind you <laughs> that you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> you but decided yeah. to pop this in. It's your fault. <laughs> it's, this is your... There, it kept reminding you, this is your fault. You are watching these Norm of the North movies. <laughs> and the, I mean, but like... we went through both of them 
you know, the first two, and we were pretty miserable. The second but, one just burned me. But then we, we took a break. We did take a break and got some we dinner. Got we, some got refre- yeah, we got a refresh. But I came yeah. to the third one with, like, complete, like, palate cleansed. And then we went into the third one, and Ethan, what do you think? And it wasn't that bad. <laughs> Surprisingly, Northern North 3, uh, bad pick, good movie. Northern North 3, <laughs> it's a, probably uh, still a bad movie, but compared to the first two, it was like such a breath of fresh air. I remember we were all jazzed. We, we were energized, and we were like getting back into it. But then Northern North 4 just immediately reminds you that yet again... Yes, you're you're fucking stupid. You're an idiot. You deserve this. And honestly, <laughs> I think the fourth one is the worst one because it's a movie about fucking nothing and just making me feel like I'm an idiot. And I don't you're like wrong. make being felt like that unless it's with smart movies like The Lighthouse or something. I remember like we we were watching the fourth one. The four okay, the fourth one like it takes place in like a purgatory universe within the Norm of the North franchise. That's what you think. I think they all died in that movie, and the entire movie takes place in Purgatory. I think Norm dies at the end of the first movie. Because the whole North Pole kingdom and everything like that, his wife, his kids, he has too much of a happy life. No one is that happy in life, you know? So we're here to propose that Norm the North, uh, Keys of the Kingdom, uh, King Size Adventure and family vacation happen in purgatory because norm is a sinner and he's dead and he does not deserve heaven or hell is our thesis that would explain <laughs> why he has a different voice why he's not rob schneider anymore. yes see Andrew Todd. <laughs> he's taken on a new form ah yes he's right. now he's no longer norm of the north he's storm of the south sure Shor- Shorm of the South. Alright, anyways. Uh, Alright, no more Northern North talk. Let's actually get into what this movie, this movie, this episode is about. This is cinema. About, this, is the, this is the intellectuals episode. This is all about silent movies. But uh, how does this show work exactly? Let me break it down for you. Right now. Right here. Right now. Brandon and Chris, prepare your little antics that you do while I'm reading this out, this prompt. So, let's get to it. Once a week, we... Oh, it's a nipple episode this time. Nice. All right. Once a week, we set a topic or theme and go our separate ways to construct our own three-film stack. Then, after a week, we come back here on the podcast and share our own stacks one film at a time. Then, at the end of the show, we will mix and match our nine films to make the ultimate decision on what quintessential three-film stack we are checking out of this hypothetical video store. That's right. Okay. There we go. That's the, that's how the show works. So let's get into it. All right, because I went last last time. I'm going to kick it, I'm going to kick this one off with my first silent movie. Um So, one thing about early cinema and silent movies that I've started to like gain an appreciation for is um sort of like getting creative with watching them. So, this first pick is a 1925 film that's um i've had a hard time trying to find a ver- like a really good watchable version of this movie but the version i watched i had a fun time watching it and it's directed by harry o'hoyt uh and it's iconic animation by willis h o'brien and that's the lost world yes the lost world now uh what i was mentioning earlier about like uh experimenting with the score and stuff is when I watched this film, the version on Amazon Prime, like, it its score was, like, these weird radio trans, transmissions and stuff like that. It's a movie about explorers going into South America and discovering this world of dinosaurs and stuff like that. Obviously, there's some pretty racist stuff, too, with, like, natives and stuff like that. But, hey, that's 1925. Like, you just gotta accept that's those are the bad qualities of this movie and focus on the stuff that was really cool, which is like the animation and the world building and stuff like that. But what I did watching this movie was uh, I put on my own music while watching it and I tried to score it myself. So I took I took the soundtrack to the hit anime JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which is very it's a very like dubstep heavy, but also like kinda it's synthy and uh, 
orchestral and it really worked for like this grand adventure film about exploring into like the deep jungles and destroying like dinosaurs and stuff like that and yeah uh the animation willis o'brien is kind of iconic he did the animation for uh king kong the very first king kong so it's like that stop motion it's kind of quirky and like i don't know i kind of like that kind of stuff so that's why i chose that as my first silent film boys what do you think does this have anything to do with Jurassic Park, The Lost World? No. Okay. But it is dinosaurs in the real world. That's, that's what, what that that's what I was thinking, because I'm like, I have no idea what this movie's about. Is it this... Chris, you're actually the end of this movie is a um a brontosaurus like storming through the streets of London. And that's kinda like the T Rex at the end of the Lost World, right? I mean Yeah. Hey, kind of. Crichton might have been inspired. Yeah, hey. When he was writing his book, but I, I don't know, I like it. I like the idea. Um, love me some dinosaurs. Grew up loving dinosaurs. Uh, is it any, like, was it, in, did it inspire, like, other modern films today? Like, yeah. Um, like, Land of the Lost? <laughs> Land of the Lost. <laughs> I, I think, I think lots of those films, like, Journey to the Center of the Earth, Land of the Lost. Uh, I think Burn. Jurassic Park. Yeah, I think Jurassic Park had a big influence on this. Obviously, like I said or, earlier, King wait, Kong because it's what you said. Jurassic oh, sorry, Park. it's influenced by this, not okay. has an influence on this. Sorry, uh, King Kong. Like I said, shares the same animator, so they're they're very similar films. Actually, if you think about it, it's like Explorer goes to this land. There's dinosaurs. They witness dinosaurs fighting. They take a dinosaur home, and then the dinosaur sort of fucks up with everything but like, that in king kong it's a gorilla and there's actual character development stuff like that but here i don't know it's kind of cool to see like this fantastical filmmaking in 1925 fantastical live action filmmaking i should say because they're doing some pretty cool stuff in animation but it's just cool to see an adventure film like this that early on in the game you know so that's why i decided to shout it out on my list and have it as my, my first pick sick 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 nasty sick beans all right Let's go on to Chris. Chris, what's your first silent film pick? Hit it. Okay, so my first pick is I think did we I think we saw this in film aesthetics or no maybe film history when we were itty bitty freshmen. Um, it is a nineteen thirty six film directed and starring the great silent com- uh, comedian Charlie Chaplin. It's Modern Times. Yes. Now. I mean, there's a reason among many that Charlie Chaplin has kind of transcended, like, the form of cinema and has become, like, synonymous with comedy. Everyone knows the image of Charlie Chaplin, the way he walks, his his hat, his cane, um, just, like, his gesture and kind of fun-loving attitude. Um, so there's, like, persona there that has kind of moved past, um, you know, the form of cinema itself and... Um, with modern times, I personally think among the the limited um, Charlie Chaplin films I've seen is my definite favorite. I think um, what kind of makes this one stand out to me among the rest, like in comparison to say The Kid, is um, there's this, in addition to, of course, what you'd expect from a Charlie Chaplin film, which is, you know, um, slapstick humor, amazing stunts, antics, and just all around craziness. There's also like a very like apt um dissection and critique of uh capitalism capitalism within american society um i find it like you know really interesting how directors and in this case the performer um is able to like bring about critiques and like deep themes through something as seemingly innocent as say you know a guy running around town and getting into trouble um but yeah this is like a personal favorite movie of mine i really enjoy this movie every time i watch it there's this scene in the beginning where he's in a factory and um he's like you know just doing his like job but like he just can't he charlie chaplin's the kind of guy you can just he's you can just watch him and you're entertained from start to finish i don't know what do you guys think i don't think it's a silent movie well it has like what do you mean sound effects and stuff and that was already in like the yeah, I think I think I think so, but I do, I do think because it was like. But coming the sentiment up, is there. Yeah, know? no, no, and I'm not trying to discredit it because I I love Modern mm-hmm. Times. I love that movie. I thought about it for my list, 
But what immediately, like, strikes me about the movie is it's different from stuff like The Kid. Um, yeah. I'm willing to let it slide, the idea that Me too, that because it... you talk about, like, the artist. Right. People, and Charlie that's a Chaplin. silent movie, and that's just as much as a silent movie as this one. So, right. yeah. Like, The Great Dictator and Monsieur Verdu are two later Charlie Chapman movies that have sound in them where he actually speaks. Mm-hmm. which is really surreal when if you've seen his other movies. Um, so I think in modern times, because he's still that tramp character and still doesn't speak, I think it's fine. I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, but regardless, modern times is hilarious. Great. I think some of his best sequences are here, like when he's like testing out the new machine for the workers where they're eating corn and soup and shit and it's going wrong. It's great. It's great slapstick. When he gets sucked through the conveyor belt at the beginning, iconic, like – I don't know a single person who doesn't know where the, what's that's from, and like not many people watch movies from the 1920s. He's not really my favorite silent comedian, but we'll get to that later. But mm-hmm. I still really enjoy Modern Times. Yeah, I think I'm I'm more of a Harold Lloyd guy. If I'm gonna be honest, like I enjoy films like The General and stuff like that. But uh, uh, I really love uh, that wasn't his movie. I I know, and I'm talking about Modern Times. I'm just talking about. Slapstick, modern uh, silent film slapstick. I'm just saying. Okay. Sorry. I like Charlie Chaplin, but I appreciate Brennan's hiding behind his mic in embarrassment. You should be really embarrassed and let me finish my sentences sometimes, Brendan. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I really like Charlie Chaplin. Uh, I, I, I like his movies just fine, but like I said, there's other, other silent film comedians that I sort of uh, appreciate more, but... Modern Times is probably my favorite of his work that I've seen, and it was it was really awesome watching this film on a big screen. Like as a small itty bitty freshman, like you said, Chris, I don't know. Uh, it, I bet it was a lot of uh, people's first experience with this this kind of film. You know, I I think it probably was mine. I don't remember watching too many other silent uh, comedies before then, but yeah, I had a great time with Modern Times. Great time, Modern Times, awesome. Okay. Brandon, do you want to talk about your movie now, please? Okay. Your first pick. Uh, the way I see it, any movie can be a silent movie as long as you put it on mute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, My first pick no. is Back to the Future. No. <laughs> <laughs> What no. are you gonna do here? <laughs> I, no, I, I, I just wanted to play a prank. I wanted to prank. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say like Parasite, but like you guys would. <laughs> you know, have you seen the silent version? Just of imagine Parasite? the look you just on. Put e- it on mute. <laughs> just imagine the look on Ethan and I's face, like if you did it, and we're just like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So my first movie. Uh, it was from my favorite silent comedian, Buster Keaton. Uh, it's a film called Our Hospitality. It's from the early 1920s. Uh, it's a movie that parodies the Hatfield and McCoy um, and dichotomy, like how like that those two families were warring in the West, and how it also plays on this Romeo and Juliet style comedy story, where Buster Keaton's character uh, falls in love with like the opposite family's character. So it's kind of like. It's both like satirizing a real life event and like paying homage to as well as parodying the Romeo and Juliet story, uh, and it's very funny. It's got gr- it's got great heart to it, and I remember it was one of the first silent films I ever watched that I ever connected to. Like I think I saw it after the kid, but I loved this far more. There's a sequence, everything with the train in the first 30 minutes of the movie is outstanding because like what they're doing here is not, it's simple, but it works. And he, Buster Keaton does his own stunts and the slapstick with that is humorous as well as kind of like thrilling because you don't know what's going to happen to Buster Keaton. I don't know if you guys have seen his other movies, but like the general where, you know, I, I said Harold Lloyd did the general. I feel I, stupid now. Yeah. Now you hide, hide behind yeah. your mic, little bitch. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and where he, like the doorway or the whole front of the house falls on him. It's kind of like stuff like that. Like there's one point where he's dangling over a waterfall and has to save somebody. And it's, 
it's hilarious because they just keep swinging back and forth into the waterfall and outside of the waterfall and you're like this is funny because they're gonna die or maybe they're not (laughs) (laughs) this is funny because they're gonna die and i'm here to see it (laughs) you psychopath (laughs) Uh, that's my first movie i don't think i've seen this film but as I was trying to say earlier, I just swapped the names. I'm a big fan of Buster Keaton. So, yeah. Chris? Yeah, I love... I actually, like, kind of like you, Brian. I feel like, for me, it's always kind of a toss-up between, like, Charlie Chaplin and um, Buster Keaton. Because it's... It, I don't know. They're they're very similar performers. But, like, there's something about their, like, mannerisms or something about, like, the way in which they perform that kind of, like tips the scale in one's favor over the other from time to time. So, like, for me, Buster, I feel like he's more of a stunt. He's, like, he has this more, like, daring, stunt-heavy kind of content in his films. Yeah. Like, more often than not in um, Buster stuff, I'm genuinely, like, this guy's about to die. He's There's no way he's going to make, make it out. <laughs> See, but, like, right. Char- Charlie is, like, more s- slapstick silly. And that's not to discredit it. There's nothing wrong with that. And, like equally as valid of like you know a comedian style as buster's like stunt but yeah i do totally get like why you would pick a buster keaton film because like yeah there's something special about like seeing someone from that time where they didn't have that that many like visual effects like all of their quote-unquote effects that can add illusion to whatever they're doing were still like to some extent practical Mm -hmm. like you know you didn't have room to go in post and like add an explosion unless like, I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. I, I'm not from that era, but um, <laughs> probably you're not. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, I don't I don't know what to make of it. Like anytime I see Buster's films, I'm just kind of like they did that for real. They must have done that for real. And like, I mean, like you see his legacy echo into like the performers of today, like the stunt and uh, stunt slash actors of today say like Tom Cruise or uh jackie chan for example and yeah this is a great this is like buster and chaplin are just like timeless comedians for me it's like chaplin is like this innocent like his tramp is very innocent and mischievous but with buster character uh buster buster keaton you get characters that are more like risque or like able to like take risks and stuff like that whether that be through like love interests or him like trying to like because like with charlie chaplin it's very cutesy the way he communicates with fem- women in his films, whereas Buster Keaton is more like he's trying to be dashing. He's just failing because he's like not as smooth. And I think that's much more hilarious. Although for drama, I-, I don't know. I don't know who I prefer, like how like drama plays out in like City Lights, you know, I yeah. I think I think Chaplin's more sentimental. Yeah. You know, like with, with yeah. works like The Kid and like you said, City Lights and stuff like that. But Keaton's a fun. He's crazy, dude. He was Love crazy. It. He's not alive anymore. That'd be R. crazy R. if he was alive. He'd be even crazier. <laughs> yeah, and like one thing I one this thing I do. This episode's dedicated to Buster Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> one thing one thing I do really admire about Buster Buster Keaton's work is like I think towards the latter end of his like uh, filmography, he started doing like more like these like surreal like fun like impossible stunts so for example like well not really stunts but even just like gags like there's this one i think it was it might have been in sunset boulevard but he he like he goes up to the elevator and there's like that dial that that's cranking to like tell you what floor is on but he just missed it so the thing is cranking away and he's like oh i missed the elevator so he grabs the dial and pulls it back to his floor and then suddenly the (laughs) elevator opens i'm just like adorable yeah like stuff like that it's just like it's really yeah kind of like chaplin it's cutesy but yeah. I don't know if that's Sunset Boulevard, but... I yeah, I, I have no idea what it is. <laughs> but it's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah, I was like trying to remember where in Sunset... Bo- I know he's in it, but I don't remember like, if he had a big role. All right, cool. Uh, all right, on to me for my next pick. Like, we're, zo- we're zooming this episode. We're, we're, we're not we're on Zoom. Really- oh, we're on Discord. <laughs> we're really nailing our the, the tempo of this show. All right, so mine... Uh, I'm taking a bit more of a somber note than these past two uh, slapstick comedies. Uh, my next film is a French film uh, directed by Carl Theodore Dreyer. It's a 1928's The Passion of Joan of Arc. Now this... That's a good one. 
This is a crazy man. This is a crazy ass movie. I gotta say, this is woman. one of like the uh, woman. This movie's got a woman in it. That's and that's crazy enough. No, <laughs> is put her on screen. Boom! Cry. There she is. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> um, speaking of her crying, uh, the Passion of Jonah Arc is like, it's a crazy like. This movie looks amazing, like restored. I watched the the Criterion version on HBO Max, and let me just say, like the picture is so clear, like they did a crazy job restoring that, and uh, which makes it even better because this is a movie that like has so many fucking close ups. That's it was pretty rare at the time, you know. Um, so clo- like the close ups and the details in her face and everything. They blow me away, but what blows me away the most is this new score. Uh, now, it was hard trying to find who exactly did the score for this 2015 restored version, but I think it's Adrian Utley and Will Gregory. That's what I found in my research, and it's fucking... It, the score is absolutely biblical. Like That's the only way I describe it. It's like these grand choirs and uh, orchestra like depicting about this story of a woman like... Uh, struggling with her faith and uh, not she's not she's struggling with everyone around her not believing her that she's spoken to God and it's just this insane uh, trial of testing her faith in the world I think it's an interesting um, like ex- uh, sort of what's the word 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 what's the word, what's the word? Uh, exploration. Jesus, why did I forget exploration? It's an interesting exploration about um, the sort of like uh, what faith does to the soul and how I think also we talked about it last episode with the uh, with mother the differences between having a being a part of a religion and like being part of organized religion because you see sort of the clergy taking that sort of antagonist role, you know. And not believing her. And so you really get to see the difference between what is faith and what is belonging to, like, an organization. If you see what I'm saying. But yeah, that's the film. That's my second pick, Passion of Joan of Arc. Beautiful film. Ultimate classic movie. Ultimate classic movie. It's, like, crazy. This, I, I think I saw this last year. I'm pretty sure. Relatively recently to the fact that I can remember it. And boy, oh boy. This movie is just so good. I I think it's a great movie about sticking to your principles and your beliefs, and right. no matter what the consequences may be. And the lead actress's performance in this movie is—it's crazy. It's great. It's probably one of the first great acting performances because it's like it predates like modern performance, which is like very subtle. Like what yeah. happened in like the sixties and seventies where it became all about what the face says. And it wasn't melodramatic. Like that was my that I'd seen the pictures of her crying and I thought it would be melodramatic. And yes, there are moments where she like she is like a little wide eyed, but that doesn't mean she's like like screaming her head off or like uh, utterly upset. This is the first great performance in cinema. Uh you're just gonna flat out say it? Yeah, and it's okay. and it's <laughs> and it's a sad movie. It really doesn't have like a lot. Well, like, everyone knows the story of Joan of Arc and how that right. goes. So. <laughs> it, it's it's very similar to that, and the way it ends is very distressing. But I would not lie if I said I wasn't entranced from beginning to end. Right, and even as a person who is not of faith, I don't think any of us are. Right, but it's still just like. It's a fascinating film by examining uh, the willpower of a human in that sense, even if you don't believe in, like, what she believes in, you know? Like, that's why you're rooting for her. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Chris, what do you think? So, in all honesty, I have never actually seen this movie. However, um, I have seen numerous clips of it because of my cinematography classes in college. Um, oh, yeah. And kind of like what you said in the beginning of when you introduced this film, Ethan, um, the images that this film produces is like incredible for, especially when you consider the time that it was made. The only things that I can think of that even comes close for the era is maybe Ben Hur, like the nineteen twenty five Ben Hur, and um, mm-hmm. maybe some of Griffith's films. But I'm not going to go there. 
Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I, could maybe talk about that. He's, he's no, I hate him. <laughs> I hate. Oh, all right. N- listen, next episode of Stack, we're gonna have some serious Brandon versus D.W. Griffith beef. You're not gonna want to miss it. They're gonna gonna be a shouting match. Just buy your tickets online, pay per view. It's gonna be a sick, guys. It's gonna be a tense. Look forward to it. You should have uh, one D.W. Griffith with boxing gloves on on one side, me on the other side with boxing gloves, a bell or a brown Am side. I going to need to make that poster? And then, and then you're going to be like, it's going to be like WWE, and then it's going to be like, ding, ding. And then we're like walking towards each other. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to do a full ass animation like that. I'll maybe make a poster. Maybe. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Sorry for interrupting, Chris, with that You're big um, fight night announcement. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, the scope and scale of this production is kind of ridiculously big. Um, and, like, it can really, other than, like, eras, like, these films, like, whether that's Ben-Hur or uh, Joan of Arc, like, if they're only really ever, like, um, dethroned in terms of, like, the scope and scale of the image, like generations later with maybe Lawrence of Arabia because that's a commonly like commonly like associated like talking point in this in like the world of like you know cinematography like chat chatter but um yeah I mean like from what I I mean I know the story but like you know I've never seen it on screen before so hey maybe this is something I need to check out sometime soon oh yeah it's on canopy I think so it's everywhere I it's everywhere with any 1920s or movies preceding that you can just find it but i would strongly urge trying to find the criterion to 2015 restoration version any restoration of a silent film will be better will be better yeah than the original because like the restoration oh i thought you're yeah i thought you're saying that as in to disagree with me like like, any version is better than that one like no shut up (laughs) i was like okay (laughs) never mind all right, but that's my second pick. Chris, would you do me a favor and take me into your number two, please? Come on. <laughs> don't do it, dude. Don't right. don't take the bait. Don't do it, man. Just shut up, Chris. You do not have to talk. No. <laughs> okay, go for All it. All right. Well, my second pick is a 1922 film. It is a horror film. Uh, it is directed by F.W. Murnau. It is Nosferatu. Ooh. Now, yeah. wow, this is a this is a very creepy movie. I mean, like they, I mean, everyone knows the image that you know him creeping up the stairs, his fingers, you know, going for that doorknob, and him standing in that hallway, and he looks terrifying. And like, yeah, I mean, like this is kind of in a way like the grandfather of like horror cinema. It's kind of like the uh how do i put this like this is the benchmark at which um all sin- all horror cinema kind of rests on and yeah i mean like this movie is just like creepy from beginning to end there are images in this film that have stuck with me ever since i saw them in freshman year and i mean like i can see like how often um like contemporary horror directors are influenced uh by this film whether that be in the way in which it executes its uh, horror aspects or like maybe in the way in which it uh, structures its narrative but there's just something so unsettling about this film um, and like yeah I mean can you think of another film like maybe before 1922 that had this level of like fear and terror surrounding it in terms of I mean okay don't say the video of the not the video the film of the train arriving the station because that's a that's a very, that's a very <laughs> That, maybe the that's elephant a, getting shocked. Okay, that's maybe like, that. But like, you get what I mean. It's, terrifying. it's a. You know what I mean. It's a different yes. kind of scary. Eerie. <laughs> it's eerie. Eerie. Yes. That's a good word. 1921's The Phantom Carriage and 1920's The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, maybe. Maybe, but that's like more fantastical horror, you know? No, I, but this is. It's still a vampire in this movie. I'm just saying, like. It's a lot darker than Caligari, if you see what I'm saying. I agree. That, with one's that. A, that one's yeah. I'm down. Sure, this is a German film. Sure, this has German expressionism, but Caligari goes so fantastical with it, with its production design and everything. You know that uh, 
you sort of get lost in those elements rather than like the actual horror of like this this character that Caligari has created. But this one, I have a confession to make, guys. I <laughs> I watched this movie on my iPhone in the car, <laughs> which which is, I'm gonna lose all my uh, film credit. I'm gonna just be banned. But I, I gave three stars probably because of that because I was on a road trip and I watched fucking Nosferatu on my iPhone. I'm a fucking I'm a dumbass. So what I'm gonna do? What I'm gonna do? Brandon and I were talking about this before the show started. We were talking about Werner Herzog's movies and he remade Nosferatu. So I think I'm gonna do a double feature, a little Nosferatu madness. I'm gonna I'm gonna rewatch this one, and then I'm gonna watch uh, Herzog's remake. And maybe I'll report back to you guys in the next episode. But yeah, I just like this is a such an iconic movie. Um, <laughs> Brent, where did you get boxing gloves? Brennan just pulled out fucking. Wait, hold on, hold on a sec. <laughs> okay, go there. <laughs> you got boxing gloves. What the fuck? Um, that's what I get for watching. I already did. That's what no, I did. D.W. Griffith. Oh, yeah. We'll do a photo shoot. We'll do a photo shoot for your big fight with D.W. Griffith. Brandon's going to end racism, guys, is what we're going <laughs> to Once he knocks out D.W. Griffith in this big match, it... racism, you're done. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways. Never stop. Uh, iconic film. Uh, Nosferatu's best cultural impact is his feature in the SpongeBob episode. Who's flickering the lights? And it's just Nosferatu over there. <laughs> Nosferatu. That's how I discovered the character was through that that just one bit in SpongeBob. But uh, Brandon, did you already talk about this movie? No. All right. What do you want? But to say? I saw it. You saw it? Yeah, I, I saw it like this it. this summer. I mean, here's how I have to say. Meh. All right. It, it just didn't move me at all. Like, it really? didn't scare me. I wasn't really, like... I was so hyped for this movie because I know everybody likes it, you know? And it just didn't do anything for me. Like, uh, th- there's some good, sh- like, shots. Like, the iconic shots that I remember from Cinema Past. Um, Cinema. Dracula? Yeah. Well, I prefer Dracula to this. Bella I, I prefer... I prefer Dracula too, but both the Spanish and the English versions. And I went like the stuff where he's walking up the stairs, excellent. Like great cinematography, but it didn't really strike fear into me and I really didn't care about the characters all that much. But I mean impressive for the time, no doubt. Still a classic movie, it just didn't work for me. Okay. All right. All right. Well, uh Mr. Big Man you want to take us into your next movie? Absolutely. Uh, my okay. <laughs> my second movie is a 1927 film directed by the same director, F.W. Murnau. Uh, it is Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, this movie... The honorary best picture. Yes, it's it counts. In my opinion, this film is better than the movie that actually won the first best picture that year which was Wings, which I also put on my list originally, but then I took it off because I was like, there's only one 1927 film that could work. This one. Okay. Um, And this movie's basically about a farmer who lives on, like, you know, a farm. Duh. Believe not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he's living with his wife and child, and then, like, this, like, witch comes in and, like, tries to convince him to murder his wife. Mm-hmm. And basically under his spell, like half the movie is like focused on him trying to murder his wife and the wife trying to get away from him and this witch trying to convince him that it's a good idea. And what I find so fascinating about Sunrise is like technically this movie is like amazing, especially for 1927. Like the camera movements, the way it plays with uh, inner titles and how it kind of diegetically plays into the frame. It's like very surreal and magical. Um, the story is really compelling. And you, re- it, even though it's simple, like you feel for the characters. And like, I just, I'm very, I was very impacted by this movie. The cinematography is brilliant. The characters are great. The acting is really good. 
and honestly, it's very memorable. Like we, I remember we saw it freshman year in the Felino, and I haven't forgotten about it since. Right. Um, yeah, another great uh, early freshman year memory was watching this film. Um, I like this movie. I think interesting that you'd say that like the majority of this movie is about him murdering his wife. I feel like that was just, from my memory, I felt like that was such a small portion of it. And then the what the rest of the movie is about is like him winning her back and then them celebrating their love by going out into the city. And that's the part that I really find beautiful. Like I, I really enjoyed those sequences of them going into town and like to the carnival and stuff like that. And well, the the witch plays a big role in this movie because she's trying to break them up the entire time. And I agree with you, though, on the, the part mm-hmm. of how magical the end is of when they do go into the city because the right. romance is palpable. And it's weird for a film from the 1920s to have a romance that's palpable. That's all I'm saying. Right, right, right. But yeah, uh, bad pick, good movie. Just kidding. What? <laughs> good what? pick, Brandon, good movie. Chris, what uh. do you think? Yeah, kind of similar to you, Ethan. Like this, like this was a very fond memory of mine in freshman year. Just kind of seeing this movie. I think it was a double feature with something else. Um, do you guys remember what that was? I know what it is, and it's my next pick. Okay, oh, so okay. I'll, we'll save that. But um, yeah, that was like a like that was a pretty fun experience. Just like seeing those like that this film and the other one back to back. And I remember like I'm not gonna lie. I remember when the inciting incident of like the film happens. I laughed pretty hard. I don't know why. The way it was executed was kind of funny to me. Yeah. I remember. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah. um, Maybe because it was shocking, Chris. Like, oh, he killed her. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, but like, here's the the thing for me is like, other than that, unfortunately, this film kind of left my memory since then. Like, I could not really tell you what the rest of the movie is about. Um... (laughs) So I don't really know what to say right now. That's fine. That's fine. All right. Hey, at least Brandon loves it. That's all that matters. Yeah, that's all. I that love movies. I like the movie. I thought I remember having a good time watching it. Um. Okay. Well, let's get into this final round of this silent movie stack. Um. I I'd be surprised if this movie that I picked is not a double stack. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, it's a 1927 film. Uh, directed by Fritz Lang. Anybody? 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 It's Metropolis. Double stack. Chris? No, I wish it were. We almost had another triple stack. It was. It was the (laughs) last. It literally again, once again, just like last episode. It was the last one. It was number four, and I knocked it for one for another one. Double stack, baby. I was thinking it was going to be a triple stack. I was just looking at your face. I'm like, hmm, is this going to happen? All right. No, it was All right, so this is double stack. Um, yeah. What an incredible movie. Just like, I think a lot of the films that I picked, maybe not Lost World, but a lot like uh, Passion of Joan of Arc, Metropolis, it fucking holds up, man. Like, Arguably better. Most, arguably better. Yeah. I, I think, I think the... The filmmaking techniques of Joan of Arc hold up a bit more, just because it's it's hard to find a really good restored version of Metropolis. We've I, I've watched some pretty decent ones. I've seen Me this too. movie twice, um, but you can it, it like you cannot emphasize enough how impactful this movie is on like basically everything in cinema. <laughs> I'd like to say like basically all science fiction cinema. You know. Um, to the production design, to its um, socioeconomic themes, you know, to its uh, the technologies in the movie, you know, it's crazy. I I love like going back to the production design. I love it, and I it, you can tell its influences are everywhere. Like its influence is everywhere. I'm talking like Batman, like Tim Burton's Batman. I'm talking uh, Blade Runner. I'm talking what else? Any movie uh, about a robot. Any movie about a dang old robot, you know, C-3PS. Modern times, even. Modern times, even. (laughs) But, I don't know, it's just, it's such a crazy cool film. I love all the shots of the city lighting up. 
I, I'm talking Akira. That that's the movie that reminds me the most of the production design of this film. Just the the fucking the highways going around everywhere and the lights, you know. That reminds me of the the cycle chases in, in Akira, and it's just crazy that that kind of movie can be influenced by a 1927 German film, which is like that's the that's art, baby. That's the power of art. But its story is pretty good. Um, it's crazy to it. I feel like Ridley Scott has taken some like, uh, inf- like has put a lot of influence in his films from this in terms of like, sort of like these really biblical themes in this dystopian futuristic setting. You know, like you get those when she's like preaching to everybody. It's like these really like weird uh, dudes and like uh, loincloths and stuff like that. And you're just like, what? Okay. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a crazy film. It's I remember the first time feeling its length, but the second time I it went by in a breeze. And yeah, it's a very overwhelming movie, and I love it. Brandon, you want to talk about it since it's a double stack? This movie has so much kinetic energy in it, like the way things move, the way people move. You feel like this is a machine, like this this whole workings. You know, it's very futuristic. But it's like an attainable future, like uh, not necessarily a good one, but an attainable one. Uh, one of the things that I think really stands out in this movie are its themes about classisms, um, about people becoming indoctrinated by big corporations or big big working environments like industrial. Because it, it really tackles the industrialization head on, which just happened like whatever, like 20 years before. Yeah, and how that really impacted people's lives negatively, and how their their science can sometimes be a bad thing as it kind of distracts from the humanity of individuals. And I think the reason why maybe the story stands out more to me now than Passion of Joan of Arc is because of that. I think we are struggling with a lot of these issues today, like automation, like automations taking over our, every facet of our everyday lives just to make it easier. Uh, but some people are still stuck in like nine to five jobs, not a, not like grueling necessarily like the uh, the jobs in Metropolis, but definitely not enough to make a living, essentially. So they are, it's almost like they are enslaved in this society to make a living. And I, I love that aspect of the movie just because it's so spot on. And that's why it's so even like almost 100 years later, that's how it lives on. Yeah. I, I, and I'm, I agree with you. Like I didn't get affected by the runtime at all. And when we saw it in the Felino, I think we saw it back to back with sunrise because there was something that happened where, um, it wasn't the cannon fire. Cause we did trouble in paradise, but trouble mm-hmm. in paradise and something else. But I remember we watched them back to back and a lot of people were irritated that we had this three hour silent film back to back with sunrise, which is like an hour and a half. Right. Maybe that's why I felt this length. I remember being really tired, and then the movie starts to fade, and then it says intermission, and I'm just like, fuck! (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) But the second time, I was totally absorbed in it. This is an amazing movie. Absolutely impeccable. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, this is like, this is one of the films I, now now that I remember it, it's one of the ones that I think I could actually now compare to like the scope and scale of like like I said previously, Ben-Hur and Joan of Arc for the time. Yeah. Um, and like you guys said, the this was kind of like one of the early films that like really made this an art form in terms of like not only in its execution, the design, the production, the actual making of the film, obviously, but in its themes and in its narrative. There's a lot of artistry here. And it's one of the first pieces that really starts to like push the push the medium forward into something more meaningful than just moving images on their own. There's something more beneath the surface um, at work with Metropolis and I'm sure many other films at the time. But yeah, I mean like, gosh, like, like you, like you said, Ethan, this film is, has become like a relic in the world of science fiction and robotics. Like, you know, as everyone knows, like C3PO was modeled after the robot in this film. Um, and like, you know, it's just, it's timeless. Like you can really just see this film at any point in your life 
And like, yes, you may be bored, especially if you're really young. But there's something kind of enamoring about like the knowing that this movie came out in like what nineteen I think it was nineteen twenty seven, and just being kind of like in awe of how grand of a piece this is, especially in comparison to other films at the time when you know the medium was still kind of in its infant years. But yeah, great movie. All right. Well, let's see, Chris. Since Brandon already took us into his third film. Let's wrap it up with your last pick on our silent film stacked episode. Well, I'm going to wrap up this episode by introducing the film that all three of us saw together, and it's the first film we've ever seen together. It is 1902's George Melies's A Trip to the Moon. Oh. I think this is a yes. delightful I think this is a delightful way to end the episode. This this is a very, very magical film. Um, really like the one of the first films that really took advantage of the medium and decided to run into fantasy really just like deciding like film is something more than capturing reality because this was like at a time where film was very much very very much a like a experimental medium at the time a lot of the films that were being put out were just like recording everyday activity whether that's a train arriving at a station or workers leaving a factory but Melies decided he wanted to start doing some form of a narrative and doing something that, you know, might capture the minds of like an audience in the same way a book or a story might. And yeah, this is a great, great piece. And like, you know, like this is a timeless piece. There, there's the image of the moon, the face of the moon with a rocket in its eye, like is timeless. Everyone, to, for whatever reason, knows that image, even if they have never seen the film. Even if you don't know what the movie is, yeah. you know that image. Yeah, and like it's just it's just such a fantastical piece. Obviously, a lot of its techniques and whatnot have become dated, um, you know, because you know it's all it's over a hundred years since. But you know, I'll be damned if like there's any film that has this kind of like magical legacy. Um, obviously there are a lot more films that are more iconic and might be more meaningful, but there's something very pure about this film. And I think that's why this film means a lot to a lot of people because it's so, it's such a relic in this otherwise sea of films. Yes, I agree. I agree. Oh man. Something that you don't see anymore. That's like so unique to Georges Méliès is... Our movies, you know, like the movies. way they move. <laughs> like, shit. No. I they don't make them like they used to, huh? Sort of like <laughs> blending... Well, science fiction was sort of like so closely tied to fantasy back then, you know? Like, you don't have astronauts going to the moon, going to the moon in this movie. You have wizards, you know? You have dudes with, like, the pokey little hats and long beards, like, mm, let's go to the moon. We will shoot ourselves up into a bullet and hit the eye of the moon and talk to these little green uh, amphibian aliens and stuff like that. And I, the only other movie I could, like, compare, like, the aesthetics to this is, I don't know if you've seen the animated film Wizards. I have. Brandon, you've seen Wizards, right? Yeah, my dad loves Wizards. It's very yeah. similar animated style. I feel not like I know the movie's not sort of just in blending genres, I guess. But there was no really genres to blend because science fiction was such a abstract thing back then. You know, I would compare it to Land of the Lost, starring Will Ferrell and Danny (laughs) McBride. What? (laughs) Very similar movies. No, but yeah, that's crazy to think about. That this was our first movie that we saw together, and one of the first movies ever. (laughs) <laughs> one of we saw it in big... 3d no we didn't but we saw it we saw this in a dolby theater which is an experience i'll never forget and, and then in we color. the poopy movie hugo but i love this one let me tell you you're disappointing <laughs> brandon what do you think about trip to the moon i really enjoy it i mean how could you not like this movie it's like short and like if you even if you have a short attention span and you don't like movies generally just mm-hmm. like Look it up on YouTube, the colored version or the fucking black and white version. And they're great quality, like surprisingly for like when it was made. And it's a great little like short, you know, how could you not fall in love with those wizard characters? They're so silly. Um, It's iconic. The imagery in it is great and magical, fantastical. There's not much to say about it because 
I, I don't even think there are inner titles in it, if any, right? It's all visual storytelling, which is great, but there's really not much to say about like themes to be had, but it's definitely an adventure, and I can really appreciate that. Yeah, movies aren't what they were now. You can like, they weren't, for one, they weren't as long as they were now. They were usually around this time, you know, this is a 14 minute long film. Uh, and that's what a film was considered, you know, but yeah. they were just, they were just stories, you know, they were just mm-hmm. a little fun. And people were just trying to see what they could do with the moving image. And it's I can't just... wait. I can't wait. For what? I can't wait to walk into a movie store and buy my favorite silent movie, A Trip to the Moon. Can you buy this on DVD? Can you buy it? On t- <laughs> no, you have to buy the film reel, kid. It's in the back. <laughs> Get a- <laughs> I want to. S- can you can you buy a fourteen minute film on Blu-ray? It's on. A- it's it's on Amazon Prime. Oh yeah, you did. You can. 19- yeah, it's in, and they have the colored version in Blu-ray. Wow. Should we do that? <laughs> it's thirty-five bucks. 30 that's more than most fucking feature length films i'm not gonna buy that (laughs) for the meme i'll watch it online thanks no i'm i'm waiting for sally gardner at a gallop on dvd are you talking kidding me when's that coming out i love it there it is (laughs) all right well there it is those are films uh let's before this oh this is gonna be a hard final stack because i love so many of these movies okay well brandon already has made up his mind but before we do that Let's let everyone remind everybody what movies we picked. So just go through in order, and I'll kick it off with my stack, and that's uh, 1925's The Lost World, 1928's uh, The Passion of Joan of Arc, and 1927's Metropolis. Chris? Okay, I didn't remember the dates, but modern. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, my picks were Modern Times, Nosferatu, and Trip to the Moon. And Brandon? My picks, shut up. Uh, my films <laughs> are Our Hospitality, Sunrise, The Song of Two Humans, and Metropolis. All right. Well, I have a propo- I have a proposal. I now, also have a proposal. All right. We'll hear Chris first, then we'll go to you. All right. So Metropolis. I mean, double stack. I I approve of it. So let's put that on there. I definitely think that's a good idea. Second, I think Joan of Arc should be there. Okay. Third. Modern times. No. Yes. I veto. I I, agree. Give me Sorry, our our commander in chief vetoes it, Chris. I can't. He's the big guy. uh, uh, Did you just call me God? Big guy. No, I said uh, I said the big guy upstairs. (laughs) I'm God. (laughs) All right. What before we before we hash this out? What's your pitch, Brandon? Uh, my. I I like Chris's. I don't. You guys gonna have to be. I I like the quality of his films. Here's mine. Metropolis is a long fucking movie, right? Yes. We're doing a triple marathon. Metropolis is in there because it's a double stack. But we need something uh-huh. to kind of balance it out. So what I'm saying is we put a trip to the moon in there. Kind of like. Oh. <laughs> uh, that surprised then... me, Brandon. I didn't think you'd put that one in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go uh, on. And then I think putting Passion of Joan of Arc in there is great, too. I think that's a fantastic movie. Okay, so I think what we need to decide here is, like, what the... It's basically... I mean, Ethan, are you kind of down with either of those in terms of... It's the debate between modern times and Trip to the Moon now. Well, here's... Here's where I'm going to go on the more modern times side, is I want to go through multiple genres here, you know? We already have our big science fiction movie. I, I know that it's only 14 minutes, but I'd like to, like, sort of go to different places. I don't know. So I'd be down I'd be down with modern times, honestly. I feel like slapstick is, like, a... It's a big foundation of what silent film is seen as today. And Charlie Chaplin, you know, he's, like, the godfather of that kind of stuff. So mm. me, personally, I would like to see modern times, but then again, like... I also want Nosferatu on this list. I also no. want Sunrise on this list. Oh, I, okay. But what oh, was your what hard. was your first movie, Ethan? The Lost World. That's not getting on here. That's fine. <laughs> I <don't>, <laughs> <laughs> I, that's fine with me. Well, Movie's okay. not that good. But I, I think, just want to talk about the animation. <laughs> no. I think Ethan has a good point in terms of like 
what do we want to diversify the the final stack or do we want to like because the thing is like My yes problem with, sorry go ahead sorry yeah because thing is like trip to the moon is a fantasy film metropolis is like sci-fi fantasy and slash mm-hmm. drama so i guess they do they do overlap a little bit but like still different enough that they are different um so i would be open to trip to the moon but i do think if we are trying to diversify the list modern times or nosferatu Probably modern times, to be honest, might be the, a more apt pick. In that case, Chris, I wait, wait. here's my thing: is like yeah. modern times is a lot. It's very similar to Metropolis in terms of like what it's saying about mechanizing. Oh. I thought like I, like in it, like when you said that, I thought like the jokes are okay. the same. Like <laughs> the jokes are the same. Brandon, yeah, Metropolis is right. a very funny film. So. Okay, I've come back around a trip to the moon, and here's what I'll say: because a, I don't think we're ever going to use that movie again. Our <laughs> 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 final for, stack for I anybody. Think, I think, and but b, also I like the I like the connection you're drawing between Metropolis and Modern Times in terms of its themes. Yeah. So you know what? Fuck it. Yeah, let's put let's put All trip right. to the moon in there. Let's do yeah. it. I would have said yes to modern times if we had a third movie that dealed with like the mechanization of like humanity because that like kind mm-hmm. of it bundles know, together it nicely. Would, yeah, it would coalesce. But if since there isn't a third one, I feel like we need to put something in there to balance out the runtime. Not saying okay. it's a bad movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's let's figure out how are we gonna um how are we gonna fucking uh, 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 order this thing. How are we gonna order this thing? I think should I... we do. Trip, sh- I, I think Trip to the Moon definitely should not be in the middle. You should, it should be yeah. first. Yeah, it should be first or last. I think first, because here's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, if we put it for, or obviously it goes first because it's not only the shortest, it's the earliest. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I then think you could put Metropolis in the middle. I'm a little hesitant to do that because I don't want people to get bored halfway through the marathon if they don't like Metropolis. Yes. So we can put Passion of Joan of Arc next, another shorter movie, and then it's like you're watching two movies, essentially. You've got the first half, which is uh, Passion of Joan of Arc, which is like an hour 20. And you've also got Trip to the Moon, which is 14 minutes, so it's just one feature. And then you've got your three-hour movie to counteract that. I like it. You like that? I like what you're saying, kid. Yeah, Thank I like you. that a lot. Appreciate All it. right. Let's run it down. This is stacked. Final stack, the quintessential silent movie three film marathon. Chris. It's silent. Kick it so off, boy. Don't talk. Three films, That's it. silent film. Nobody talk during while watching these movies. I will fucking kill you if you do. <laughs> I will kick you out of my private theater. For if we're ever going to the blockbuster and renting these movies and come back and watching them, I'll kick you out if you're talking to these movies. They're all great. Anyways, Chris, kick us off, bro. All right. So our number one film is a 1902 film directed by George Méliès. It is A Trip to the Moon. It follows a group of explorers slash wizards as they embark on a trip to the moon. And it is the grandfather of fantasy cinema. And our second film is The Passion of Joan of Arc. One of the most uh, groundbreaking films in terms of its cinematography and the use of the close-up and detailing the subtlety of an actor's performance on film. Uh, it's a film about willpower and faith and uh, believing in what's right. And it's a beautiful film. And that's The Passion of Joan of Arc. And our final film is the film Metropolis by Fritz Lang. One of the most influential movies of all time, one of the best thematically of all time, and one that I think we can learn a lot from today. Thank you for coming to our stack. <laughs> Thank you. Did you like my T- TCM host? <laughs> Is that your TCM host impression? Very good. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that'll, that'll, that's the episode, everyone. I hope you enjoyed uh, learning about all these old movies. I know it's not like it's no, it's no like uh, Fast and the Furious, you know, Star Wars, like your big bloom explosion movies. These are some actual classics, you know. These are this is some of the OG stuff. So, I hope I hope you guys check out these films. A lot of them are streaming everywhere because of copyright stuff. So you can find them anywhere you want. 
find a good version of it and please i think i've seen i've seen all but one of these movies and i 100% recommend you check them out for some exploration of cinema history if you're a cinema fan and now do it everyone that's the show um, yay yeah yahoo oh yeah uh make sure to listen to us Every week at Fridays at 10, we drop new episodes. Uh, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Make sure to follow me, Ethan, and Chris, and Brandon on our respective social media sites down in the description. And we'll catch you next time. Hey, Ethan. Stacked, everyone. Hey, Ethan. Yeah. Oh!